and I never really liked working at those companies where you just go, okay, best of luck. Mm. Hope, hope, hope you sell it or hope, it, hope I see it in stores one day. And <laughs> I think for me, I've, again, I love, I love taking it all the way to the cross the finish line. And where I've seen design be influential in these moments is in presentations, in pitches, and just really in creating, you know, the portfolio of the brand or of the, the firm or whatever it is. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Dan Grossman, Associate Design Director at Smart Design New York, about his journey and all the learnings along the way. This is a series of podcast episodes where IDSA and Design Drives collaborated in order to bring you insights from the speakers at IDC, the international design conference that recently happened in Chicago. We learn why it's important to follow up in the design process and learn the process from beginning to end and actually understand how the design is getting sold and ultimately in the hands of the user. Besides learning about switching from in-house to consulting experiences and learning about the differences, we also dive into how to figure out when is the right moment to change actually job and make a move. On top of that, we also make some unique learnings about animal-centric design. How to prototype and user test your designs with dogs. Enjoy. So I'm here with Dan Grossman, Design Director from Smart Design New York. Yep. Um, so exciting to talk to you. Uh, let's give the audience a little bit of you know, context, maybe about you know, your journey and you know, how did you happen to work at Smart Design, but... Maybe you can go all the way back towards when you were you know, getting into design sure, uh, and the drive behind it. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's yeah. great to uh, talk to you today. Um, I am from New York originally, uh, so uh, I actually came from a family of creatives. So I was very fortunate. My mother was an interior architect. My mm. uncle was an engineer and my father worked in business. So mm. I kind of had like these three different influences growing up and uh, spent a lot of time in museums and just like art galleries. So I was always kind of around it. Um, but didn't really know what to do with it yet. And uh, I'm one of these stories where, you know, I was a teenager, I was angry, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then uh, I had an art teacher uh, reach out to me in, in my high school, and she started a graphic design program. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time uh, that I found an opportunity to take my creativity and actually turn it into something. Mm-hmm. It was like the first person that said, hey, you can you can be creative and make money. And then like, I didn't connect the dots, even though I was like, around creative people. I just never thought of that was a career for me. So um, I got into graphic design high school and just immediately fell in love with it. And through that, um, started looking to art school and discovered industrial design. And I was very much like a hands-on builder type kid. And uh, the idea of, you know, I mean, everything about industrial design was a perfect fit for me. This balance of design, business, innovation, working with your hands, drawing, and just like um, the whole process behind it really, mm-hmm. really got to me. So that was what kind of drew me into it. And um, I, uh, I took a lot of art classes in high school. So I, I did that. I worked really hard in my senior year to get exempt from my intro classes my first year in college so that I could jump directly into ID. Oh. I knew what I wanted to do. And from like, like, I think like the third month of college, I was already in the discipline and I haven't looked back. So it was great. Uh-huh. And then what were your first steps in the design career? So uh, my first steps, um, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, Mm -hmm. and uh, in the Southeast, there weren't a ton of internships. At the time, it was a much much newer program uh, for ID, and we didn't have a lot of, like, uh, notoriety. 
but there were a few companies that had uh, offices down there and mostly were in the outdoor market. Um, mm -hmm. So I was very lucky and fortunate to have landed an internship, um, I think my junior year in college, uh, at Husqvarna, mm -hmm. which is the Swedish um, uh, outdoor you know, power tool company. And they had offices for, the, for North America for some reason in Georgia, um, which was great. And that was my first real experience into ID. Um, it's funny because I remember going in there my first day and just having like this big chip on my shoulder being like, I'm a designer. And the senior designer there was like, you are not a designer yet. No freaking way. Get to work. And I remember just being heads down 40 hours a week of sketching and just wow. being you know, just like, like, nope, go. And that was the first time I learned like research, like in the field, they were like, you know, we're working on this new tool. And it was funny because it was almost like you're doing chores. They're like, here's a leaf blower, go blow leaves. <laughs> and you're like, am I doing this for you or am I doing this to learn? But it was just like this great um, hands-on experience and just a ton of work with it. So uh, that was really great. I did that. Um, and I'm always, I've always been somebody that I just want to learn. I'm just like obsessed with learning and growing my skills. And I wanted to understand, you know, how can I get better at different disciplines within the field of industrial design. So I wanted to do the complete opposite thing after that. And I went from doing power tools to perfume bottles. Yeah. So I moved back. Difference. Yeah, big difference. I moved back to New York and got a, a job uh, as an intern at a place called Nice LTD, uh -huh. which is this uh, international design firm. They're headquartered in New York, but I think they have offices all over the world now. And um we worked with brands like Hugo Boss, Gillette, Old Spice, Valentino. And it's funny because, you know, I don't know anything about couture fashion, but there I was designing like perfume bottles for some of the biggest fashion houses. And just like the, the difference of, you know, when you're doing a power tool, it's all about functionality and engineering. And, you know, there's this robustness and durability and masculinity. And then um, the opposite end was making this object, this beautiful, simple, precious object that was made of glass that was going to be so expensive. And just that huge spectrum of design really kind of set me on course. Um, so did that and then uh, ended up my first job working for a company uh, called Lifetime Brands doing uh, kitchen and housewares. And that was really kind of the start of uh, my career uh, in the field, just uh, working for big brands like KitchenAid and Cuisinart and Farberware and working for products direct to market, everything from kitchen tools and gadgets to just different things around the around the home. And it was great, really great experience. Mm -hmm. And keep going. You want to do the whole, the whole, the whole resume? <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. Maybe, um, you know, the, the, the steps afterwards. I did, so you had a lot of contrast there from power tools. Yeah. Uh, then to uh, perfume bottles, right? Yeah. Um, and then I think you, you switched a couple of times in your career, right? Between yeah. having quite a strong contract, like uh, in-house consultancy, right? Mm -hmm. But then also different product categories. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, from there, I kind of, so I was in-house at that point. So yeah. at this point, I've done a little bit in-house and consultancy. And I kind of wanted to get back into being a consultant just because there's a, you know, when you're in-house, you, you kind of, your job is usually pretty defined when you work for a consultancy, it, it can change on a yeah. moment's notice. And that's exciting, especially when you're young because you want to do different things and, and so forth. So from there, I, I left uh, um, uh, Lifetime and went to, I worked with two small consultancies uh, over the period of a couple of years, uh, one called Foresight and one called Prime Studio. Um, and Foresight did a lot of CPG. They worked for big brands like Pepsi and they just did incredible, uh, just really, really interesting uh, work 
um, very research heavy, just but also like beautiful form development. And again, it was just like honing those skills. Like, how can I get really good at just like gestural, like just beautiful forms? And really learned a lot from them. And then went to Prime Studio, uh, where it was a small, you know, a small studio that we did a lot of like. Um, uh, projects in like consumer electronics and pl appliances and we also worked for big companies like Unilever and mm -hmm. uh, we did a project with Swiss gear and it was just like really really just diverse just really different diverse products and um, really enjoyed that um, and you know uh, I found myself at the end of, the, of that little time period uh, the economy was up and down and you know uh, I was I moved out of being full-time and became a consultant for the consultancy and I was looking for something to sink my teeth into. Mm. And I think for me, that's kind of been the most important thing in my career is real. I like to invest in, in my work and really just like obsess over it. And so even though I like, so I was like, I want to work at a company. I want to work at a consultancy and I want to try everything different. But what I, what I really loved actually was working for a brand. And cause when you work as a consultant, you're almost like a, you're almost like a mercenary. Like you're hired to like get in and get out, like kill and go. And you're like, you got to kill this project. You got to make it awesome. And then don't ever worry about it again. And you're like, wait, but is it going to go forward? Are you going to make it put into production? And they're like, don't worry about it. Move on to the next thing. And that killed me. That's funny. <laughs> so uh, I got this random phone call from a friend of mine who was leaving a job. And he called me. He was like, I'm leaving. I work for Martha Stewart. And you should go work for her. And I'm like, I don't, Martha Stewart, I, I want to design cool electronics. I want to I want to do cool things. Like Martha Stewart, she means nothing to me. And <laughs> it was funny. Uh, uh, I was uh, convinced by several people in my life at the time, like, listen, this is a cool opportunity. You know, this is like the first self-made female billionaire. She runs this crazy organization you're going to be a you know a lead role there you got to take this and i went and checked it out and just was blown away by the facilities and just just like the broad spectrum of work uh -huh. that they did and they everything from different categories from housewares to pet to you know to patio furniture all these things so i gave i was like you know let's just try it and honestly it was the best decision i'd probably made in my career the reason for that is because it totally changed my perspective and I think this is where I started to like think about design very differently. And before, before going into this job, you know, again, I was all about learning and trying different things and really immersing myself in the category. Mm. But this is where I started, you know, again, I was like, you know, I was like a typical ID kid. I was like, you know, I want to worry about hot sketching and cool renderings and new tech and everything, you know, IOT. And what I learned at Martha was pattern and color and texture and material a whole other dimension of you know totally different you know, and you know when when you start a project now when we we look at we create these image boards right who's doing what you know we want to see what's the new thing out there we want to see the new tech or the new competitive firm or if i'm working for for pepsi i want to see what coke did um when i worked at martha uh what we did was we went, we went back to history you know we didn't come to conferences we went to flea markets. You know, we wanted to be inspired by, you know, the, the past. And they had this thing called the prop house there. And it was literally like a library of just objects. Mm. I mean, it was probably like quadruple the size of this room. 
cataloged objects, like everything you can, everything from furniture to dinnerware to like lighting. It was like this warehouse of things. And the reason they had it was because they were also a content company. So, you know, there was magazines, there was TV shows, there was all this stuff. So these props for these things. However, as a designer, I had full access to it. So if I wanted to work on a new product, I could go in, I could just spend hours in this room and I would get inspiration, just get inspiration. And then we would travel on to go to like trade shows. And then we'd specifically plan, okay, well, we're going to go to antique stores. We're going to go to flea markets. We're going to go to local shops. And that was this pivotal moment where I also started learning about how products get to stores. So that's a thing. Yeah. That's a thing that we don't talk about enough in our industry. And I think it's about, we always worry about the design and we don't talk enough about how products actually get into customers' hands, to people's hands, to you and I's hand. And when I worked at that company, we were working directly with retailers. We were working with buyers, which was my first interaction with those, those devils, the buyers. (laughs) You do all this work, you're doing all this research and design and here's this great thing. And then somebody walks up with a clipboard and they're like, I don't like it. And you're like, what do you mean you don't like it? This is great. And they're like, eh. Or you'll do all this research, and you're like, the trends are blue. Every this is we have a blue story. Everything should be blue. And they go, great. Red sells better, um, so you should make it in red. And you're like, all right, guess I'm making red. And <laughs> you start to really see just like the different layers. And I think these are the learning experiences that really kind of put me in a different course, and just uh-huh. really started to appreciate also just retail in general how we shop and, you know, again, how products get in the customer's hands. Mm-hmm. Was it just you know, learning by doing or uh, how did you learn your perspective? It was learning by losing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Learning by, uh, by, you know, again, when you work for, the, when you work for a brand, you, you design for this brand and you design for these stakeholders and these different people who are decision makers. But when you work for, so I mean, I guess I'm saying that through the lens of like a as a consultancy, when you work directly for the brand, you're trying to then actually get products into stores, and then you're working with retailers, then you're working with buyers, then you're working with all these different challenges. I mean, you're working with sourcing and logistics, and like all of a sudden you realize like there's so much that goes into making something mm. that is way beyond the design phase. Mm. Um, and again, like that, I think that's the thing I, I love about working in-house and one of the things and it's like again you know in-house versus in consultancy i go back and forth i'm at a consultancy now and we'll talk about that later yeah. but uh i think for me just getting to see something all the way through is just so exciting and what you realize is that things are going to change they have to again maybe the retailer is saying we we can't sell this at this price point so you have to lower the cost now what or they're saying that these colors are i know you want to sell these colors but this is the best selling colors notoriously so you got to do that um or you know just challenges with the factory and when you're when you're working on the product in-house you get to see it all the way through and you kind of like get to be the guardian of your of your work and you're like all right if we're going to change it let me change it i know what to do let me solve it Versus somebody else solving it, like at a factory level, or somebody else just, or let me fight that fight even. Like let me talk to the to the buyer, let me talk to the retailer, and tell them why they should take a risk. And I know that they're more comfortable selling black and white, but we really believe color is a much better solution. Mm-hmm. So it's stuff like that that I really enjoyed and um, learned a lot from. Um, 
And then from there, so did that for about five years, also worked with, uh, with a bunch of different categories, did like everything from, again, pet and housewares and home and all this different stuff. And I actually uh, kind of was, I was about five years in or so, a little under, and um, I was looking for a change. And New York was just going through like the startup boom. And this is, it's now a big startup city, but 10 years ago, we didn't have that. And uh, I got in contact. I'm a big dog person. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I love to do different things, looking for a change. Yeah. And this company called BarkBox uh, got in contact with me and they were looking to start an in-house design team. ID. Uh, ID. And I'd never done toy design before. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for someone to lead a, a group of toy designers and do like reinvent the, the dog industry. And um, so I jumped on that immediately. I was like, yep, that sounds cool. It's different. I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was great. And I'd never worked for a startup before. And I never like built, I, I, you know, at, at Martha, I did build the team from scratch, but like the ID, the traditional ID team, but they already had a bunch of designers and they knew what design was and they appreciated it. And there was a lot of people in different disciplines. At BarkBox, it was like a completely blank slate. Um, and that was really exciting to me. And again, toy design, I didn't know anything about it. At that point, I'd been to factories for you know, cookware and electrics and I'd seen, you know, freaking car factories and I saw, I went to a, got to go see where planes are built and I'd never been to like a soft goods factory mm -hmm. and all of a sudden cut and sew and how like toys are made and things like that. Really fascinating and just really totally different. And again, a great opportunity that I couldn't pass up on. Um, and BarkBox was also very much like the company called Bark, BarkBox is their, their main product. Mm -hmm. And for for all the listeners who don't know, it's a monthly subscription service where you get a box of uh, toys and treats for your dog. And it's kind of like a replenishment model mm -hmm. because dogs tend to destroy toys and they, eat, and they eat a lot of treats. And if you if your dog doesn't destroy toys, it's maybe not for you because after a year, you end up with a huge pile of toys. Yeah, yeah that's what <laughs> I'm wondering. So are these uh, toys designed so they sort of biodegrade or... Ah, it's a great question, and unfortunately, no. Um, it's actually probably one of the more wasteful uh, industries that I've yeah. worked in, uh, just because we literally are designing things to be destroyed. Yeah. So it's funny when when you work when you design for a person, uh, when you design for people, yeah. <laughs> um, which humans. is a weird, yeah. which are humans, which is a weird thing to say, but. Um, you know, I, if I show you something, you're going to tell me if you like it or if yeah, you don't yeah. like. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. or like you lie to me. You're like, eh, you know, dogs are just honest. Like they just, it either it's either works or it doesn't work. You know, they're either excited by it or they're bored. You know, there's so many people who like go to the store and they go, oh, I love this thing, and I'm going to buy it for my dog. And they go home, they go, here you go, and the dog's like, whatever. And you're like, great, I just spent 20 bucks on this. Uh -huh. um, so it was just totally different. And, you know, user testing happens in real time. We would prototype something and say, all right, give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And it was just so much fun. So you had a bunch of dogs in a design studio? It was just, crazy. Like, 3D print something? Oh, and yeah. Just put it on the floor? It was uh, crazy. It was just like, there's like 30 dogs in the office all the time, just mayhem. And, and the, the speed in which the factories you work with. And we had prototypers like off-site, but also the factories in China. It's just so fast. Cutting, there's no tooling. You know, it's just, there's no CAD to send. We send illustrations, essentially. We, you know, turn they call them turn views, like front, side, back, different dimensions, color call-outs, and within like a couple of weeks, you have the samples you need, and you can do different variations, and you test them. Mm. But one of the funny things to that is, like, we call them destroyers, and it's like, is your dog a destroyer? 
And what type of distraction does your dog do? And you start to understand that the way we kind of create personas mm -hmm. in the design field, you're like, and like, based so there's on dog personas. Then, there's right? dog personas, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And, um, and there's like different types of play and yeah. there's like, you know, and these are the things you start to realize. So, you know, when we were there, we started off just with one type of toy and one type of product, but we then create another one called the super chewer. So you have like a heavy chewer, which is somewhat a, a regular chewer who just chews up a toy, a heavy chewer, which maybe destroys it or the super chewer, which is like literally anything this dog touches, mm -hmm. it's going to, it's going to ruin it. Mm -hmm. And now you have to talk about okay, now we're getting out of plush. Now we're getting out of squeaky toys. Now we have to go into rubber toys. And now we have to worry about wall thickness. Now we have to worry about durability. Mm. And that was a really fun challenge as well because, again, never designing toys before, one end of the spectrum you get to do plush and these cute characters and all these fun, like, kind of cheeky things. Um, we always try to be very funny and, uh, you know, kind of, like, just clever with the toys. But then we wanted to make these other toys for dogs which were like really robust and really durable and could withstand teeth because again if i give you something like you're not going to try to break what you just i just gave you yeah. you're like oh i i love this i'm going to take care of it whereas if i give a dog something they go oh i love this i'm going to destroy it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so really fascinating uh and then the last the last part of all that is um also to, to create things that were beautiful because you know, when you look at the pet industry, which is huge, yeah. it's bigger than baby, yeah. which is crazy. And it's, wow. it's, it's yeah, right. well, you know what it is, is a psychology behind it. When, when you spoil your child, you feel bad. You're like, oh, I don't want to spoil my kid. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to. And it's like this whole like back and forth. When you spoil your pet, you feel great. You're like, oh, I want to buy them all the things. I just want to give them the best. And, you know, there's a huge, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, you look at the, the young community now, you look at the millennial market, kids, uh, people are having kids later, um, uh, young couples are getting pets sooner, mm -hmm. and they're just spending more money on them. So it's this industry which is growing, and um, you're seeing a lot of startups, Bark being one of the first ones, but a lot of startups are kind of going with it. But what you start to see, as I started getting into it, was, you know, these are things that are on your house, they're artifacts. And I don't want to just have anything on the floor. I want to give my dog something cool. I want so when company comes over, my friends come over. It's not like, you know, a big elephant, you know, with like a, a crazy, you know, these weird like things and a big pink this. I'm like, I want it to be like cool. And we always really inspired by brands like Kid Robot and like the vinyl toy movement. And you see all the work they did. And I was like, how can we make dog toys as cool as like vinyl toys are? And that was a big challenge and a big opportunity. And, and then we would do crazy things like uh, we did an interactive pop-up shop where dogs did the shopping and we'd like the Bluetooth. That's a whole thing. You can, mm -hmm. you can go on that. But anyway, so I did that um, and then did that for a couple of years and then things changed and was ready to move on and uh, ended up uh, briefly at Peloton. Uh, Peloton uh, is a again is a startup um, and they're an exercise company. Their primary product is a stationary bike, yep. and they're a media company. You know they do digital service, uh, just unbelievable stuff. Did you work on the ID side? Or? Yeah, so I worked on the ID side. Um, I was in between. I was I was went back to consulting for a little bit and was working with um, their uh, head of design. There is a good friend of mine, and just got to come in and just do some great work with them, uh, doing different products and different parts. Um, and was really happy there, and but I was just on contract at that point, I was just kind of playing it by ear. 
um, working on different um, components for their future products. Mm -hmm. And then Smart Design called. Uh, a friend of mine was, uh, was working there, a guy I'd known for a very long time, and he said, you know, we're looking, we need a, we need a, a new head of ID, and, um, you know, are you interested? And Smart Design has always been kind of like a bucket list job for me. Uh, as an industrial designer, you know, they've been around for almost 40 years. Like, when you're a student, you're just That's like... Known, yeah, you just, you know, in New York especially, they're just like... Yeah. A, they're the OGs, and um, it was just a great opportunity, and I really couldn't pass it up. And uh, joined them, and have been there for the uh, past year and a half, and it's been great. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So I think what's also interesting is, you know, you switched around, um, and you, you experienced so many places. When do you think it's the right moment, or how do you feel like there's the right moment to change? It's a great question. Is it an opportunity that comes in, or some a personal feeling that you, you know, came across? No, it's a, it's a really great question, and I, I think it's one that we need we as a community should be addressing bigger is when is that moment to jump ship? Right. Yeah. And it's hard when you're an industrial designer because you work on your, your work is long game, right? You, you, you design a product, you design a concept, you work on, a, on something and you're like, I, I want to see this come to market. So again, that could take years mm. and you want to maintain that control over it. So a lot of times you stay and you stay put, Because you're like, no, I got this project, it just started, or yeah. like, or there's, you know, I'm waiting for factory tooling, I'm gonna, I gotta see the first samples back. So you kind of like get, I don't wanna say you get stuck, but you definitely, um, you get comfortable. And I, I think there's two things. Uh, one of them is, is opportunity. And when opportunity knocks, you gotta take, you gotta hear it, you know? Um, when the phone rings, you should always answer it and just listen because I think moving around is good. I think, you know, trying different things and pushing yourself and challenging yourself is so important because that's how you grow. It's how you learn. It's how you get better. And, yeah. and I'm someone that I want, again, like I want to learn and I, everywhere that I've worked, I'm, I don't, I don't regret any of the moves because I learned so much in each place and I've worked for really talented people and I'm someone who collects mentors. Like I love to learn from people who are older and wiser and more experienced than me because that's what's going to make me better. And then I can pass that along. Mm -hmm. So opportunity, when it's when you hear it, try it. And I think what's important about that is like, don't be afraid to do something out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to relocate. Do something different. Mm -hmm. If it's a good opportunity and it's going to teach you something and be great work, do it. So that, I think, is number one important. The second thing, I think, is be honest with yourself. Because, you know, attitude and, you know, you know, sanity and your, your just mentality and your behavior. It's, it's so important to set the success of your work. And when you're not happy anymore, that's when you really have to be honest with yourself. Because I think people hit walls. I think they hit creative walls. I think they hit, you know, internal political walls. There's various reasons why you may love a job versus why you may hate a job. And as soon as your work starts to suffer, that's when you really need to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, maybe it's time for a change. And because when you when when you don't do that, and I've seen it, and I've seen it on teams, and you know, as a director, I've managed group, groups of designers over periods of time, and I've been there, and I've seen my other designers be there. You're like, look, it's not a bad thing. You're just you're ready for something different. You know, mm -hmm. this is sometimes it's the same thing day in day out. Sometimes you're sick of designing dog toys, and you're like, you know what, I have a thousand dog toys in my portfolio. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> you know, and it's it's not a bad thing. You just gotta be honest with yourself. So really staying in, in tune with um your 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 personality, your happiness, your behavior, and making sure that your work doesn't suffer because it, it, this is no need. You know, do something different and feel good about the work you're doing. Mm -hmm.
How was it for you? I mean, it's also interesting. You 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 jumped into different product categories, right? Mm -hmm. Completely different in-house right. design teams, right? Where you go very vertical, right? Right. Um, so you know, how was that? You know, you know jumping into uh, industry or uh, product category you know nothing about, right? Uh, so I guess because this is this, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid of uh, doing exactly that, right? If they if they have been working you know with a certain type of product for a long time they're very comfortable and obviously um you know they can contribute a lot but uh, it's you know it's, i think it's important also to you know break out sometimes but there's a lot right. of friction around that so uh no it's another great question um you know i think uh excuse me i think when um people get into people get into design for different reasons and some designers are like i want to design sneakers And like, I love sneakers. And I just want to design sneakers or like cars. And you're talking about this yesterday. You're like about during your talk about, about cars and car designers and things like that. And some people just want to do that. And that's awesome. Like that's your passion. They're going to pursue it. For me, industrial design was about the versatility. It was just about the openness to do mm -hmm. everything. And I'm someone that I just like, I want to do it all. Like it all excites me. Like there are things that obviously excite me less than some things are more exciting than others, but um, I just want to try new things. And uh, it's definitely tough because I think over the course of your career, especially as you move up, it's very easy to be pigeonholed. People want you to be an expert. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, great. You can design everything, but what are you really good at? Mm -hmm. Especially when you try to get up to like a director level, they're all of a sudden like, well, you need to be able to speak about this very confidently and be an expert in this category because you know, if I'm at a consultancy and we get a client and I've never even worked on any type of product like that, they're like, well, what do you know? Where I'm like, no, 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 I have experience. Let me tell you my experience with this. And, oh, this reminds me of a cool story or this good project. So diversifying my skill set and my portfolio and just my, my career has been a huge, huge push, I think, from day one. That's one of the reasons why I've tried to you know, invest myself and move around in different times and different places because I don't want to ever have to be locked in to one thing. And, you know, I've probably spent the most time in my career in housewares. New York and the Northeast in general is a very, it's very heavy in housewares as a category. And it was also, like, I think, the timing of just like the boom of kitchen and just like home chefs and foodies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And and it's a great it's a great industry to be in because food is like this. I mean, I love it because it's a universal thing. You know, every it's it's this beautiful cultural thing where everywhere you go, people have traditions and just different you know recipes and um, just uh, habits that everyone kind of can share and learn from. But um, I think you know being able to move around is and do different things is what is makes industrial designers great at what we do we mm -hmm. we have a, a skill set we have a process we have a way of problem solving and thinking that we can apply to any opportunity mm -hmm. that's why i work at a consultancy now because i get to do that and that's why i try to move around a lot in my career um it is tough though and um i think you just have to be really open and really mm -hmm. eager to learn and just like confident in your skills because mm -hmm. then you go you know what yeah i haven't done this but catch me up You know, give me some time. I'll figure this out. And a lot of times the best way is just to learn by doing and, mm -hmm. and just hope that you don't mess it up. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what's also interesting is that you know you, you worked in different product categories, but then you know also in-house experience, and you work with different stakeholders. Right? You were mentioning mm. the aspect of sales, uh, right? So I would like would like to talk a little bit about the the role of design within these companies or you know setup. You know, how do you saw really um, design be you know involved or being you know part of the success or not being part of the success? within these you know companies and experiences no yeah i think that's you know it's a fair question because at the end of the day you wonder like where does design start and where does it end and, mm. and some some companies you you, just, you do the design you pass it off and i never really liked working at those companies where you just go okay best of luck mm. hope 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 you sell it or hope it, hope i see it in stores one day and <laughs> i think for me i've again i love i love taking it all the way to the cross the finish line and where i've seen design be influential in these moments is in presentations in pitches and just really in creating you know the portfolio of the brand or of the the firm or whatever it is so i've worked at companies where um you know, we weren't just, we, we would, we'd approach a retailer. We'd like, here's a new collection of products that we've been working on. And, you know, we're this brand and we want to get in stores. We really think this would do well for your store. We're going to design a point of purchase. We're going to design the actual, the, the, the display, the physical display. And mm. we're actually going to, you know, send you maybe like a video of what we did or, you know, just create these inspirational moments. And these are the things that are going to get the retailers excited. Um, one of the things we used to do, um, I've, I've done over at several jobs, is actually create these physical experiences in our office. So we'll invite the retailer to the to our office, and we'll take over a conference room or a large space, and we will build a mini store within our office. So that uh, it's one thing for me to show you images. I can send you renderings. I can send you a cool animation. But let me show you. Let me give you the experience. And when you walk into the room, you actually have like, okay, this is cool. I want this. These are the tools that we have as a designer to help the company or the brand to move forward, to be successful. And I think that's what kind of has allowed me over my career to have a seat at the table in these conversations and move up a little bit where I'm able to help with that strategy and not just help with, um, and, and not just help with the strategy, but also help with that execution mm -hmm. to be like, look, here's how we're going to approach it. Here's how we're going to solve this business problem through design. And now that I've convinced you it's a good idea, let me go do it. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see, hopefully knock on wood, you know, hopefully it works. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, at a brand and a in-house level, that was a big part of the job is just really making sure that it wasn't just like, here's the thing, but here's the opportunity. Here's the experience. Here's yeah. how you're going to sell it. Um, so I wonder a little bit how you framed that, you know, uh, working with these other stakeholders or convincing people to uh, in invest into design or uh, how did you, you know, frame it, the, the impact of design, you know, or the contributions you can make, uh, prototyping, envisioning it, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, making it. Um, yeah, it's, I think you just got to do it. I think, I think the way I've always, it's about taking, I think, taking the initiative and just giving people the, the tools that they need to succeed. You know, it's, I've always said this to like, you know, younger professionals or, you know, people talk to me or a lot like a student will say like, Hey, I really want to get into design, but I don't have an industrial design background. Like I don't have an ID degree. And ultimately I'm like, it doesn't really matter because no one can tell you you're not good at what you do if you show me you're good, right? If you have the portfolio, if you have the skills, 
and you're like, well, I didn't study industrial design. I studied creative writing. I'm like, well, that's a cool story. Mm. <laughs> I could care. You know, great. Look, look how good you are at what you do. Mm. You should work for me. Mm. You know, um, I think it's very similar in, um, in this category, in this, in this scenario where you're like, how, how we've, I've been able to succeed at doing that is just by doing and just saying, I have an idea. Let me show you. And here's how we're going to move forward with this. And, you know, you may get pushback, but again, if you come back with great results, if you give the sales team, if you give your boss, if you give the CEO of your company something to be excited about, something tangible, which is, again, that's kind of like our, our superpower, right? To make things real. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, I know you don't get what I'm saying. Just, just give me five, you know, mm -hmm. let me go do it. And I think that happens, you know, it's funny, sketching is something that we talk so much about in our field, about being great at sketching and being great at these renderings and things like I think the most important skill is being able to draw on the whiteboard. The whiteboard is like the most undersold. It is, it is like, it is everything. Because there are, how many times have you been in a conversation where somebody's not getting what you're saying? Yeah, like, theoretical discussions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, I don't, well, I don't see it. You're like, just stop. Just let you just go pick up the marker, you go, burr, 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 and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. Okay. I, I think it is the most important tool to be able to quickly communicate and visualize. And that's how, that's how I've been able to frame things to, to customers, to, to clients, to, to bosses. And just by saying, let me just show you mm -hmm. and just uh, let's, we'll get there together, but you got to trust me. The reason why I'm asking this is that you know the understanding of what design can contribute, like right. I guess where where we different at all these places we have been, right? Right. Well, it's so yeah. So going back to my first job, uh, I remember my VP of design when I told him I was leaving and I was going to uh, work for a consultancy. He said, um, "It's going to be very different, and this I'm excited for you because you're about to go somewhere where designers rule the roost, right? So they're in charge." Um, Whereas when we were working for this big company, was that to a different in-house team? Or? Yeah, so I went from in-house to consultancy. Okay, and going from in-house where we had all these people to answer to, we had all, we had again, we had sales, we had marketing, we had you know um, managers, we had project managers, we had all these different layers. Mm -hmm. And even though we were designing a ton of great product and really cool stuff, a lot of it didn't go forward. Where all of a sudden moving into a, a consultancy. Um, it was just totally different. And I remember giving this advice being like, look, you're going to see how different that is because now you're a consultancy. Your job is to be creative. Your job is to be a designer. And uh, I mean, not that it wasn't the other place, but like that's why people came to us. Mm -hmm. They came to us for our expertise. They came to us to, it's, it's very different when a brand comes to you and says, tell me what to do versus when you're in, in, in house, they're like, here's what you need to do. Um, And I think that's probably been the biggest change uh, that I've seen over over the different jobs I've had is um, just like the power and voice you have. Uh, because again, when you're working as at a, at a consultancy, we're being approached as experts. You need a, you have a problem, we can help solve it. And trust us, we're going to show you that this is a solution and here's how you got there. When you work for a company, it's a lot trickier. And um, your hope is that you work for a design-minded company, a place that values design. They value designers. Um, they value your input and, and position. And I, I think I think we've seen a lot of that change over the past 10, 15 years. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole debate of, like, design thinking and design, what is that and design strategy. But I think 
I think it's very real. And I think we, a lot of the world and a lot of the brands have caught up on it. And um, we're starting to see, which is starting to see the, the reemergence of the in-house design team, um, which is big, I think, a real big movement right now, um, that designers do have a, a, a louder voice and a stronger uh, point of view in a bigger company and organization. Mm -hmm. Do you see this continuing like it is at the moment? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I was talking about this with, with someone yesterday. It feels like, a, I feel like it's like a pendulum, you know, like there's just like pendulum that's swinging. And there was a period of time where design firms were, were, where we were kings. And, you know, it was like, that's where you went for the best work. And that's where all the innovation happened. And then those design firms taught the world how to design and how to think. And we're like, look, you can do it too. And then it's come back this way, the pendulum. And now we're seeing these unbelievable design teams in-house. You know, um, just like these huge, like, I mean, again, I work for a consultancy in our I think our, our team right now is about, I think we're about 12 industrial designers, uh, you know, full-time with interns and things mm -hmm. like that. You know, there's companies here that have teams of 30, 30 plus industrial designers and they're in-house and they're, and they're cleaning up. They're winning all, they're winning all these awards downstairs and it's awesome. And that's exciting because, you know, you go, wow, like the, the power of design is real. And all of a sudden you're seeing it happen in-house, not just out. Um, so I do think it's a pendulum and we'll see what it, it'll probably swing back. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, as of right now, I think it's kind of going that way, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Do you see any, you know, big trends in terms of, you know, industrial design that you, you think will you know, change the discipline moving forward? Yeah, you know, I think, I think the biggest change that I've seen is, um, expectations. I think client expectations have changed. I think we're, you know, we as a society and world and, you know, just different, different people from different disciplines there, there's, they, they have a better understanding and appreciation of design. So I think their expectations are getting a little bit higher. And I think, you know, we as a community are always pushing ourselves and, you know, with like Instagram, uh, and that whole crazy movement of like, that's a whole new way to people design or like showcase or design. And like, you know, these websites, um, which, you know, they used to just be like course 77 and we all went to it. And now you have like things like Lemonouche and just all these different uh, platforms to showcase your work. I think that the stakes are getting higher internally as a, as a, as a design community mm -hmm. and we're having to push ourselves further. Um, but I think at a client level also, their expectations are changing because especially with startups, you know, it used to be, I, I, every, I mean, there was like a period of time where every client that would come to the door would say, I want to be the Apple of this. You know, they would say, I want to be Apple of, of toasters. And you're like, well, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that. Um, and then, you know, you try to explain to them how that's not realistic, but um, now it's, I want to, I want to be like this startup. I want to see this. I want to be like this new brand that I just saw. I just saw this article about this new company. I want to be that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that type of information and stimuli that's really pushing our field to evolve. Because again, like I just think that it's a, it's a, it's a crowded space and the clients are a lot smarter and they're a lot savvier and they know they've taken design thinking courses, you know, and they, 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 they know how to brainstorm and they know how to use post-it notes. And you're like, all right, we gotta, we gotta step it up. So it, it's cool and it's a challenge, but, um, it's an exciting one. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you a bit of a personal question. Okay. You know, you, you have such a rich experience from so many uh, different you know, places. And I want a little bit of what is, you know, 
your personal drive or the personal impact you want to have with uh, your work? Uh, that's not too personal. Thank right. you. I thought that was going somewhere totally else. So that's good. <laughs> I think the work I'm doing right now is really exciting. And, you know, what, there, is, there is something that I skipped over in my uh, career. Uh, and that was when I first graduated college, I was very optimistic and excited about the power of design to help people. Mm-hmm. And um, this was like early days and uh, where, you know, designing for third world countries and um, humanitarian design was still kind of becoming mainstream. Uh, Fuse Project had just launched the one laptop per child. And that was like blowing our freaking minds. We're like, yeah. that is cool. I want to do that. And there was very few people out there doing it. Um, this was before Open IDEO or any of that. Um, I got involved with a nonprofit called Project H Design. Mm-hmm. And we got to do a project uh, in a collaboration with Architecture for Humanity, mm-hmm. uh, developing something called the Learning Landscape, which was originally this collaboration with a school in Uganda, an AIDS orphan school. And we created this um, scalable uh, education system. And this is a project that I did right out of college. And it was like, it's still my, my most favorite project I ever did. And it was just this opportunity to do something grassroots and bare bones and just do something really positive and impactful. Um, working in the humanitarian design industry has its challenges just like anything else. Um, and it was very frustrating and, and difficult. Uh, but it was very like, you know, it was kind of feeding my soul. That was something I, I loved. And I kind of missed it over time. So I kind of, there was a million reasons why, you know, there's, there's a, that's a whole other story. But they're still around today, actually, and they have a school. Um, they work with a design-build program out in California mm-hmm. for, uh, for young girls. It's an awesome thing. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of time has passed since I've been able to do something for the community. And right now at Smart Design, we've been working on this project called The Better Bin, which is a competition in New York City. I saw this. Um... Yeah, designing for... Um, uh, to replace the design, uh, the trash cans in New York. And on any given day, there's like 20,000 trash cans in New York City that have to be serviced over the span of their lifetime, you know, thousands of times. And it's this really cool thing because it's this artifact that lives with us. Mm-hmm. And the current trash can that's on the street today hasn't really changed since the 1930s, which is crazy to think about that an object that we interact with on a day-to-day basis that millions of people use has barely changed in almost 100 awesome. years. Right now we're in this competition. We're one of the finalists. We actually have our prototypes in New York City, but mm, nice sort of concepts. Yeah, it's 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 cool and um, it's exciting. This is the thing that I love, and this is what drives me. Because you know, when I first when I first started into my my industry, uh, my uh, career, as I was saying, I was I got into nonprofit and I wanted to help people, and uh, I still want to help people, and I still want to do things. But I, what I'm realizing more than anything is like I want to make an impact. I want. I want my products to be used. I want my products to be enjoyed. I want my products to be loved. And I want my products to be important. And when that's not always the opportunity you get as a designer. A lot of times you just make things. Sometimes they're cool. Sometimes they're not cool. But you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was an opportunity to, like again, put something out into the world that was like positive. It's going to make uh, the uh, sanitation workers' jobs easier and better. It's going to make the streets cleaner and prettier. It's going to be this thing that everyone interacts with on a day-to-day. And to me, those are like the holy grail type products and mm-hmm. projects to work on. So I think what drives me is that even though I still look, I still love cool things, I still want to design cool things, I still love you know the, the whole art of what we do, um, but I still 
I want to make an impact. I want to be, I want to do something positive and actually be able to um, help and, and change the way we uh, interact and improve our lives. Mm -hmm. Trash burn is uh, such a great example because it's, you know, it's going to stay there for a very long time, right? And, you know, it's in the environment and can have such a big impact. Right. And, and again, it's, it's something we see. I mean, every street corner has one. Mm -hmm. I hope to see, you know, it's like we always talk about seeing your design in the wild. Right, like you're walking down the street and you see your thing, somebody's wearing it or holding it or using it, and you're like, "Yes, mm. <laughs> I made it." <laughs> um, or like, you know, you go into a store and you see people like, "Oh, are you gonna buy it?" Like, that's like the weirdest thing when you like, you like creep on somebody. You're like, "Why? Excuse me, why don't you buy that? That's what, that this one's good. Oh, I love this one." And, yeah. um, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Really um, but having on the street corner, on every corner in New York, really is it's just a huge opportunity. So, you know, I think what drives me is just that, just that chance to, to really make something that uh, is a part of our day to day lives in such a large way for millions of people yeah, to the use. scale of it, right? I love it. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll win, but we'll see. <laughs> Maybe as a last question before we wrap it up, um, what would be your advice to young industrial students? What would be my advice? Um, I think my best advice is to the young community is to, you know, not just worry about now, but really focus on the past. And, you know, kind of going back to what I talked about with like Martha and things like that. For me, I'm, I'm a little bit of like a design historian. I love learning about our industry and how we got to where we are today. And I love learning from you know, the people in front of me in their careers and my bosses. And right now, like the, the CEO of my com company, um, he, the, the founder, he, he's, you know, he's been doing this for a, a good bit of time and I get to work with him every single day. And I just like absorb his knowledge. And I think, you know, with so many challenges out in the world today, especially with the job market and just the competition in the field, a lot of designers that are young just go out on their own. And I think it's important to learn and to experience and to do. Try different things. Put yourself out of your comfort zone. Again, do a job you wouldn't necessarily take. Move to a state you weren't planning on living on and just try it. Because these are the skills that you're going to learn and it's going to really round you out and mm -hmm. just make you a better designer and just also kind of like a better person. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, learn from the past. Like, understand who are, the, who are the, the founders of our field and who are the forefathers of design and where did it all start and how do we get to where we are? Who are the best firms today and why? Who are the best firms that closed down and why? You know, like really understand that history because that's what really makes for, I think, a richer future. So just get out there and, and, and work and just do do great stuff, you know? Great. So we need to wrap this up. It was yeah. amazing speaking to you. Amazing no, insights and uh, a really inspiring journey. I really appreciate it. No, it was great, great talking. just want to get in touch feel free to connect with us either on facebook twitter instagram messages or simply via the designdrives.org website we love to hear from you